You're listening to a podcast from Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, whose mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Good morning, Red Sea, and anyone who else who may be listening. This is Nate, uh, preaching from my apartment. Two weeks ago, we all met in a large building and worshipped together. Today we're not gathered, but sitting at home waiting out a pandemic. It has been incredible to see how fast circumstances have changed. How are our jobs going to be affected? How will the economy be affected? These are the questions we're answering right now. I want us to think this morning about how might the church be affected. And I'm not talking about the building, and I'm not talking about the gathering. Uh, We are forced to think past that right now. I'm talking about the community of Red Sea. We call ourselves a family. How are we going to be affected? Certainly God has brought his people through many situations far bleaker than the one today, but usually not without transforming them. We have an opportunity to trust God in a whole new way under a whole new set of circumstances, and if we allow it to, it's going to grow our faith in new ways. The call to trust Jesus in a profound way that sets us apart from those around us was an apt call two weeks ago because this is an election year. There's a lot of false hope that even Christians have in politics. The call to trust Jesus in a profound way that sets us apart from those around us was an apt call a week ago when people started getting sick and things started closing down. After today, most of us won't even be leaving our homes for a while. How is our trust? There was a time when the Jewish people found themselves seemingly unable to worship the Lord. They were cut off from practicing their religion as they knew it. They lost their temple, the ark, the altar. They lost their means of sacrificing, which of course was their means of atoning for their sin. The Bible says that God gave Israel over to foreign powers who destroyed the temple in Jerusalem, plundered their cities, captured their people. The people were then relocated to a new land with new kings and new gods. For the second week now, we are unable to gather. The use of our building, our place of worship, has been cut off from us due to the threat of virus, and it seems highly appropriate to me that we're talking about the exile right now. We are in a similar position to Israel in that we have had our regular means of worship pulled out from under our feet. Our routine is gone. We need to ask ourselves right now, What does it mean to call ourselves the people of God? You take away the church gathering, how much evidence of Christ is left in us? Stories from the exile, particularly like the ones we've been looking at in Daniel, are all about how the people of God uh, are living out their faith in circumstances that seem to be against them. Worship is inconvenient, if not illegal. Choosing to walk in the way of the Lord will make you look like a fool if it doesn't kill you. Our view into the exile today is going to be from Hosea, the first of the minor prophets. Hosea will focus on the picture of God's relationship to his people as a marriage. Israel has been an unfaithful partner to God and broken the terms of the covenant. As a result, God orchestrated the exile of the Jewish people as a means to restore their relationship. Exile as a means of restoration. The book of Hosea is a collection of writings by the prophet Hosea over a period of at least 25 years, if not longer. He prophesied to primarily the northern kingdom under King Jeroboam II, 
Um, This is one of the Old Testament kings who did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. At this point in history, Israel was divided into two kingdoms. Uh, Judah was in the south, with its capital city being Jerusalem. And Israel, also known as the northern kingdom, was of course in the north. Hosea often referred to Israel as Ephraim or Jacob. Its capital city was Samaria. The particular exile Hosea refers to is, for the most part, the Assyrian exile, mainly affecting the northern kingdom. We've been reading in Daniel about the Babylonian exile from Judah, which happens later. Uh, During this Babylonian exile is when the king Nebuchadnezzar destroys the Jewish temple. The Assyrian exile, Hosea's exile, uh, happens in 722 BC and marks the end of Israel, the northern kingdom. Babylonian exile won't happen until 597 BC. The exile as a whole is something that happens in stages. Israel and Judah both are made weaker and weaker over time until they cease to exist. A large part of what Hosea is doing in his work is announcing this exile, but he's also offering Israel one last opportunity to repent from their sins against God, knowing that they wouldn't do it. In that time, God spoke to his people primarily through prophets. Um, They were representatives of God's people. In Hosea's case, his marriage is meant to represent God's covenant relationship with his people. Hosea represented God in a very unique way. Jeremiah, for instance, made the same comparison, speaking of Israel as an adulterous woman, but this is so much more real for Hosea. He gets an opportunity to see things here from God's perspective. In Hosea chapter 1, Verses 2 and 3, we read, When the Lord first spoke to Hosea, through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take yourself a wife of whoredom and children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diplaim, and conceived and bore him a son. Here's the picture Hosea has put forth. He's going to elaborate on this for many chapters. Israel's forsaking the Lord is akin to adultery. Hosea gets to live this analogy out. We see the picture getting clearer and clearer as we read the rest of the chapter. Gomer has another child, a daughter. The Lord says, call her name No Mercy. For no mercy I will have on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. Then Gomer has a son and the Lord says, call his name Not My People. For you are not my people and I am not your God. It would be enough to say that it wouldn't be enough to say that Israel's relationship to God is a marriage. Israel's relationship to God is a bad marriage. And I am quick to find myself to identify with Hosea. I've had my heart broken. I've had my feelings hurt. I know what it's like to be sinned against. Uh, Go ahead and identify with Hosea. But if we're going to insert ourselves into this story, we get to be Gomer. Hosea is the picture of God. Hosea calling his third child, not my people, also translated not mine, indicates that the child is probably not even Hosea's. God has for himself an adulterous wife and illegitimate children, but God still wants his people to know him and to love him. Hosea's relationship problems are set up as a parallel to God's relationship problems. He now has, like God, an adulterous wife and illegitimate children. Now, Hosea's book is not a marriage guide. It's not God's position on divorce. 
But however, it may be an opportunity to use difficulties in your own marriage or in your own relationship to see God more clearly. God is using our human understanding of a broken marriage and all the pain associated to point to God's heart for his people, to reveal something of his character. The first three chapters um, of Hosea are focused on this marriage relationship between Hosea and Gomer. But then in chapter four, it turns more towards Israel's idolatry. Hosea, I'm sorry, Gomer did not all out abandon their marriage right away. She just sought love and provision on the side, just as Israel uh, didn't trust the Lord to be their sole provider. They wanted their neighbor, what their neighbors had, options. Nearby nations' ways of worshiping Baal uh, became intermixed with the ways of Israel's worshiping God. Israel didn't ever stop worshiping the Lord altogether. They just insisted that they could worship Yahweh, the Lord Almighty, alongside these other pagan gods. And it was more than a, a free love attitude that concerned Hosea. Worship of Baal uh, was associated with cult prostitution and child sacrifice. Now, the parallel between Israel's sin and Gomer's sin is what we're looking at here. But we believe, too, that God's uh, intended for us to be part of this audience. So I invite you to also think about your own sin. Do we worship the resurrected Lord Jesus on Sunday uh, and then turn to the same securities that everyone else does throughout the rest of the week? Or how about this one? One of the sources of security that Israel was looking for towards was human government. Can you connect this to your own experience? They depended on their own abilities for as long as they could, but when things got bleak, something bad happened, they turned to political alliances with Egypt or with Assyria. Throughout the books of Kings and Chronicles, leaders of Israel have been described as bad or good based on what they did, based on whether what they did was right in the eyes of the Lord or not. Kings faced many seemingly hopeless situations, and there was always an opportunity to do what was right in their own eyes. When they looked to the strength and security that the Syrians could offer, God let them do it. But through the words of Hosea, God made it no secret that he was behind the Assyrians who would take Israel into captivity. In Hosea 5, God says, I am like a moth to Ephraim. I am like dry rot to the house of Judah. You'll go to the Assyrian king, but he is not able to cure you or heal you. I will be like a lion to Ephraim. I will be like a lion to Judah. I will tear and go away. I will carry off and no one shall rescue. I will return again to my own place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress earnestly seek me. Assyria was not going to be a great help to Israel. Assyria will take you into exile, God tells them, but I will be behind it. So in his sovereignty, God brought about the exile at the hands of the Assyrians and later at the Babylonians. What did it mean to the Jewish people, exile? The first exile we see in the Hebrew scriptures happened in Genesis 3. We know the story is the fall of man. Adam and Eve were placed in the garden uh, to live and work alongside God. And they were given the command to tend the garden and to be fruitful and multiply, spreading God's good gift throughout creation. 
they were also given a choice, the opportunity to obey or not. Genesis 2, 16 and 17 reads, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Their choice was to trust God or to determine what was good and evil for themselves. It's the same choice we get to make with our lives over and over again. And Adam makes the same choice that we tend to. I'll trust myself. The stated consequence for this rebellion was death. That particular fruit leads to death. There is no choosing anything apart from the maker and sustainer of life that leads to anything except death. Genesis 3, 23 and 24. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim with a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. What did these humans experience as a consequence? It wasn't death. Not immediate death, anyway. It was an exile. Uh, Exile here is a placeholder for death, but it's also a kind of death. This is where we come into the story. Adam and Eve's exile and death are passed on to all that will come after. Human sin required God's justice, but God's love for humans required God's mercy. This is the tension throughout the rest of the scripture. How is God going to accomplish both justice and mercy? Remember that Adam and Eve aren't Jewish. They represent all people. And as a result of their actions, all of humanity is in exile, and it is fair to say that that exile is a kind of death. Um, The first chapter of Ephesians 2, the first part of Ephesians 2, begins with, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Before God revealed himself to us, we were dead. It makes sense to me that this existence, as we are born into it, is death with small glimpses of life. I think this, the Bible reinforces this for me. We can certainly all agree that life offers both good and bad. Um, let's call it life and death. If, even if we know Christ, we still experience this death, this exile that I'm talking about. Nothing is quite perfect. You never have the whole truth. Potential can be seen, talked about, dreamed about, look great on paper, but never realized. This life doesn't always feel like the blessing that it could be. There's a hint of death in the air. Furthermore, I think most of us can agree that something's not right with us. We just don't all agree on what that something is, and whether it's getting better or whether it's getting worse. In Exodus, we learn that in ancient Israel, both idolatry and adultery carried a death sentence. Okay, so who's on trial? Through what Jesus said, we learned that we, the greater exiled humanity, cannot help but commit adultery. Idolatry. We can't help but commit spiritual adultery. Beyond that, we steal, we murder, we lie, every time. The human condition is one of exile, exiled from an abundant life that we can only see glimpses of. Spiritual death is a reality of this exile, and final death, inevitability. 
For the Israelites of the latter 8th century BC, exile was death in many ways. For the ones who didn't actually die violently, which is many of them, the others were cut off from the God that they had always understood to be the source of life. Of the Israelites that were cut off and cast into foreign lands, only a remnant of them would be restored. Hosea 10, 13 echoes Genesis, making it really clear that Hosea's moment of exile takes place within this larger frame of exile. It says that they, Israel, had eaten the fruit of lies, and they had trusted in their own ways, and that the consequence would be death. It was the mercy of God that allowed for the exile, allowing for a way for the story to go forward. I said earlier that the picture of God and his people uh, being married only works if the marriage is a bad one. The truth is that the picture of God and his people being married only works if that bad marriage is restored and then made beautiful again. Coming into chapter 3 of Hosea, Gomer is gone. She deserted the marriage altogether in pursuit of other lovers, but after never finding satisfaction or provision, she ended up in a desperate place. In this chapter, we see not only the restoration of Hosea's marriage, but the restoration of Israel's place next to God. This is going to be easier to keep track of if you have a Bible. Um, So if possible, turn to Hosea chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. This is the story of Hosea redeeming his wife. And it is an awesome chapter. We can see almost the whole picture of the story of God through uh, the relationship of Hosea and Gomer. Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. And the Lord said to me, Go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for fifteen shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. And I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man, and so I will be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or without prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return to seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Estrangement. In verse 1, Gomer is estranged from Hosea a woman who is loved by another man and is even an adulteress. At this point, Gomer's been unfaithful. She walked away from Hosea after the birth of their third child and has returned to her adulterous ways. We also see in verse 1 that Israel is estranged from God. They turned to other gods and loved cakes of raisins. Israel turns away from the Lord and seeks their provision elsewhere from the cultures around them. They love what the people around them love and therefore become indistinguishable from the nations that are around them. Redemption. In verse 2, Gomer finds herself for sale, perhaps uh, as a slave or a prostitute at the mercy of the highest bidder. Uh, She is redeemed by Hosea. She's purchased by Hosea, who never stopped loving her, or at least is commanded to go and love her again. He actually pays to have his own wife restored to him. This is where Hosea becomes a picture of Jesus Christ. 
God in the form of Jesus Christ paid with his life to redeem his own people, demonstrating his steadfast love. Restoration. In verse 3, Hosea offers his faithfulness and requires Gomer's expressing his commitment to the relationship and they are reunited and their marriage has been restored. In verse 5, Israel returns to the Lord. They relearn what it means that God is good. They relearn what it means to fear the Lord and not just Yahweh, but David, their king. David at this point has been dead for a very long time. This refers to the promised king from David's line. This line explicitly points to the Messiah to come in latter days, Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, they are restored. There is a beautiful narrative running through the entire Bible telling the story of God uh, through this picture of marriage. In that story, uh, the church is made clean to, and joined to Christ in wedlock at the great wedding feast, and humanity is restored to God, and they live happily ever after. How is Jesus the resolution to this story of exile? First off, the story of God becoming flesh in Jesus' form uh, is the story of God entering that universal exile from the garden that we are all a part of, the same universal exile that inevitably leads to death. From Philippians 2, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count himself, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of a man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He not only entered our exile, but he accomplished the part that required death. We're used to hearing the gospel delivered as Jesus died for your sins so that you may live. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Everything living and dead on earth was created to point to new creation. Created to be recreated through Jesus and to fulfill its potential in God. Dancers and poets, leaders, sculptors, teachers, worshiping God with their talents, unencumbered by viruses or by war or by broken human relationships. You were not put on this earth to eke out some sort of invented meaning for your life, but to point to God Almighty. He put those dreams inside your head to be realized. When you become a Christian and are baptized in the name of Jesus, you share in his death, but you also share in his resurrection. Your relationship with God has been restored, just like Gomer, just like Israel. Christian, this is how your exile is different from the Israel exile into Assyria or into Babylon. We are in exile because of sin, but not because we're being punished. We are here because we, having been restored, get to help restore, bringing others out of exile. Remember the names of Hosea's kids. No mercy, not my people. In Hosea 10, or Hosea 1, chapter 1, verse 10, after God speaks of his judgment on the people, he remembers his promise from Genesis that the people would be multiplied beyond number and be a blessing to the whole earth. And in them where it was said to them, and in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. Paul later uses this passage in Romans 9 to explain how Jesus made a way for the Gentiles 
God redraws the line of what it means to be a child of Abraham. Israel's way out of exile and back home to God becomes a mercy available to anyone by grace through faith in Jesus. If you are a Christian, here is the way that your exile is similar to Israel. The Jewish people were never really at home. Egypt, the wilderness, Assyria, Babylon, the Roman Empire, even when they came back to the land post-exile, it was never the land of milk and honey. We are likewise never at home in this world. America is not to be seen as the promised land, but yet another representation of Babylon. We have to learn to be ever faithful in ever-changing circumstances. What does it mean to call ourselves the people of God today? Take away the church gathering and what evidence of Christ is left in us. My hope is that we will learn new things about ourselves in terms of what it means to be servants, in terms of what it means to be family, in terms of what it means to be ambassadors. People know when you're the kind of person that hangs on every word from the news. People usually get to see if you're the kind of person that hangs on every word from the president or another leader, either to attack it or to defend it. What does it look like to stay informed, stay involved, but to have your confidence and your hope in Jesus Christ, even through virus, viral outbreak? Is it visible to other people? Hosea ends his book with a picture of humanity restored in garden imagery. Hosea 14. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely. For my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. The very last lines of Hosea I'm going to use as a prayer. It's calling... It's a calling to the people of God to hold on to his unchanging ways, always seeking justice, but also mercy. Father God, who is wise? Let him understand these things. Who is discerning? Let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but the transgressors stumble in them. Father, we just pray for guidance, a way to go forward, and a way to be your people in a hard time, uh, a way to answer the calling to uh, be a people of justice, but also be a people of mercy um, in a time that's hard for people. What does that look like for us? Um, and where are we looking for our strength? And where are we putting our trust? Father God, I pray that it would be in you. We pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. It would be really easy to check out right now, to stay isolated in our homes and not give a second thought to the Lord. Uh, so I encourage you to engage in the study and the minor prophets and the exile. 
I plan to provide some study questions for Hosea to the home community leaders so that we can keep this conversation going. And next week we'll be looking at Joel and or Obadiah. Uh, two books, but actually a very, sh- very short read. I look forward to meeting with you and seeing you all again. Uh, I love you, and in Jesus' name, um, you are sent. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please visit us at www.redseachurch.org or contact us at info at redseachurch.org.